Let us pray. On this opening Sunday, O oh God, swing wide open the portals of our hearts that we might be open to your Holy Spirit this day and every day. In Christ's name, amen. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Do you know who said that? The great theologian Forrest Gump. He wasn't talking about the Christian life, but what he says is relevant for it. You never know what you're going to get. It may not always be sweet chocolates either. There could be a box of nails, chocolates, nails, a new academic year. The point is that you never know what you're going to get. Hawaii weather one day and Hurricane Harvey in Houston the next. The rain, the flooding, the loss of human life and livelihood, the devastation and frustration hanging on to light posts to, to, to survive the rushing, rising waters, giving contemporary meaning to the words of the psalmist years ago, save me, O God, for the water is up to my neck. Literally, you never know what tomorrow will bring. Ancient wisdom tells us that tomorrow isn't even promised. One family in Houston found out how quickly things can change. The water was rose so fast and, and furious in their particular neighborhood. They weren't really ready for the flooding to occur so quickly. This couple has two kids with Down syndrome, a three-legged dog, and a pig named Penny. And that's a true story. <laughs> All of them were trapped in their house as the water rose, but by an act of grace, they were rescued and brought to safety on boats. But not everyone had that outcome in Houston. As you know, Officer Steve Perez left his home to help those in need during the storm. His wife pleaded with him not to go, but the dedicated, determined, daring Perez told her, we've got work to do. And on his way to work last Sunday, he drowned, a police officer. Jesus doesn't make any of us supermen or wonder women. You never know what you're going to get in a hurricane. When hurricanes and storms make landfall, you may think the worst has happened at that point, and then it will eventually die down. But then it is possible for it to leave the land and then return to make another landfall. It's not easy to live through a hurricane, for hurricanes don't die easy. If an eclipse didn't alert us to the fact that we aren't in control of life, then a hurricane should. A hurricane should knock us out of the craze of capitalism and consumerism and commercialization and 
commodification. It should be a natural recalibration of the priorities of our lives. What do I prioritize and why? Who am I and who do I want to be? What am I supposed to do? If I lived in view of dying in a hurricane, how might that change my way of living right now? Is the life that I am living the life that wants to live in me? Am I living a meaningless life and will I die a meaningful death? Questions that a hurricane can help raise in our consciousness. Yet many of us only live in a sunny Hawaii world and forget that hurricanes, like the one in Houston, can come into our lives at any moment. Many of us don't want to even think about dying and death. Instead, we sound like Woody Allen and, and say, I am not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. You never know what you're going to get. But rest assured that the words of Benjamin Franklin in a letter many years ago are still true. In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Living through a hurricane and facing death can help you in life. The words of Jesus about life come in the context of death because life and death are interrelated. In Matthew, Jesus is anticipating his own kind of hurricane that will take landfall on his body and rip him apart on a cross. And this is the first time he tells his disciples about his, that he's about to undergo suffering and death, but it won't be the last time. He gives them a holy hurricane warning. The disciples didn't sign up for this. We didn't sign up for this as they and Others expected a triumphant Messiah, not a tormented one who would die on a cross. And if this isn't enough, Jesus tells them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You never know what you're going to get when you walk with Christ. There are no promises of a pain-free passport to the pearly gates of heaven. Rather, it seems more like a death sentence confirming what Dietrich Bonhoeffer taught many years ago. When Christ calls us, he bids us come and die. When some of you do the sign of the cross, that's in your own way. You are saying, I must die. But many of us don't want to face any kind of death with our eyes wide open. We prefer to die, as one actor says, in my sleep, like my grandfather, not screaming and yelling like the passengers in his car. We can't handle it, don't want to hold it or hear anything about it, but hurricanes, impending crosses will force you to face it. And there is a storm brewing in the scriptures, and there is a storm brewing in this nation. Whether we like it or not, we will have to live through hurricanes at some point. And just when I was really getting tired of the lectionary, 
Today's words scream out a truthful and timely question in light of what is happening in Texas. For what will it profit us if we gain the whole world and forfeit our life? Or what will we give in return for our life? Life is so precious, and though we may want to avoid any talk of death, we may actually be killing ourselves already anyway in the vain pursuit of, of gaining the whole world. But to what end? We can be so focused on stuff that we lose our lives in the process. If you've gained the world, you've probably already lost your life. You can gain everything and have nothing. Job success, money, land, degrees, social standing, trusts, estates, championships, fellowships, grants, girlfriends, boyfriends, honors, every single social and co-curricular activity at Duke are not life. They may be a part of life, but they are not your life. What is your life? And are you well? Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Duke wouldn't create a wellness center if we were well. We, like Peter, may, too, uh, may play, pay too close attention to human things and not enough to divine things. We may grasp for earthly glory, but Jesus shows us that his glory is gory sometimes, that life comes through death. But I wonder if we really want to die to our stuff. We like the accoutrements. But you can gain the whole world and, and still be empty and still lose your life. On the outside, things appear to be well, but inside, you feel like hell. You can footnote that or tweet it. Because maybe, just maybe, you are living a life other than your own. Rose was one of my former congregation members many years ago. And she and I sat in a restaurant to share a meal together. And she began to tell me about her relationship, her relationship with her, her husband, who had abused her and her daughter for many years. Yet she remained married to him. And at one point in that conversation, after hearing the horrific stories and, and seeing the tears drop from her face, I stopped Rose. And I said, Rose, that's not living. And she said something to me I'll never forget. She responded and she said, Luke, I died a long time ago. There are people who may be breathing, but they are dead. They've lost their life for all the wrong reasons. And I'm reminded of the wise ancient saying, it is not death that one should fear, but one should fear never beginning to live. What does it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your life? 
Hurricanes will strip all pretenses away. I lived through Hurricane Andrew in 1992 in South Florida. It was a late high school graduation present right before I headed off to college. There was no pretending during the middle of the night when the power went off and in the dark all you could hear was the rain and the howling of the wind. We had no real shutters on our windows, but we shuddered that night. I remember listening on a battery operated radio to a station where a news reporter was crazy enough to be out in the middle of that storm to give the latest breaking news. Daylight eventually came and the next morning my father and I jumped in the car and we drove around in our neighborhood and in some of the surrounding areas to see what kind of damage was done. But especially we decided to head for down further south where my aunt lived and where the storm was stronger. And while we drove, I still hear the echoes from my eyes. Because what we saw there, I will never forget. We saw long assembly lines of, for people standing, waiting for water. Buildings that once stood tall and mighty swept to the ground and were no more. Rooftops ripped off homes like at my aunt's, leaving a hole to the heavens looking down on the wreckage. And when you get down to the bare necessities, you can't help but see your naked spirituality. When you face the reality of death, perhaps it is then that you will really learn about what's important in life and what is life. The disciples learn about the impending death of Jesus, and in that setting, they learn about their own death and life. They discover that they are not what they own, nor what they do. What will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? In this early stage of an impending cruciform storm, they have to confront the words of poet William Stafford, ask me whether what I have done is my life. This is something for us all to consider. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for Christ's sake will find it. There is a life that requires a death to live, a cross to bear. And this is subversive wisdom unlike anything else. Professor Alice McKenzie from SMU notes that traditional wisdom echoed our secular saying, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. But the wisdom of Jesus is finders, weepers, losers, keepers. Losing, losing your life is the goal because by taking up your cross, you actually find life's true meaning and gain life. Our conversion is an inversion of normative thinking, being, and doing. If you gain everything, accumulate more and more, you can still have nothing and possess an anorexic life leading to the death of your soul. But losers, Keepers, 
The life we are called to live is a life that loses itself in Christ. By losing your life and carrying a cross, you gain life in Christ and the life that wants to live in you. The more you lose, the more you gain because your true life is found by giving away your life. Jesus came that we may have life and have it more abundantly, even while we recognize that his kingdom includes a cross. So when you sign up to follow Jesus, remember that you sign up to die, to carry a cross, to suffer, to, to expect hurricanes and storms and winds to blow. You live to die to live. And who doesn't want to live? What does it profit you to gain the whole world? and forfeit your life. Jesus wants you to live. And it's true as that as a follower of Jesus, you may never know what you're going to get. But to live without him is the real death. And to die with him, the only life. Though the storms keep on raging in my life, and sometimes it's hard to tell the night from the day, still that hope that lies within is reassured as I keep my eyes upon the distant shore. I know he'll lead me safely to that blessed place he has prepared. But if the storms don't cease, and if the winds keep on blowing in my life, my soul has been anchored in the Lord. A Houston man returned to his flooded home to get his kids stuffed animals. And what he did next blew me away. He sat down at his upright piano while the water was just as high as the piano bench. And he played music on those ivory keys amid the aftermath of a hurricane. Though the storms keep raging in my life, my soul has been anchored in the Lord. An elderly man was stuck in his truck during Houston's flood, and his truck was sinking with him in it. But some folks that were nearby saw what was happening, and they formed a, a human chain to reach this man's truck in order to pull this elderly man out. Story after story about living through a hurricane. The reality of dying can shape our living in such a way that we learn that life is about giving our life as people risk life to save life. In the movie, Life is Beautiful, Guido is a young Jewish man who's in the kingdom of Italy in 1939. And he arrives in a city there where his uncle operates a restaurant. Guido eventually falls in love with a girl named Dora, and not Dora the Explorer. And though Dora, this Dora, was set to be married to someone else, she eventually falls for Guido, too. Guido loved Dora so much that he steals her from her own engagement party and jumps on a horse with her. They are married eventually and they have a son. 
Josue. And when World War II breaks out, Guido, his uncle, and his little boy, Josue, are seized on his son's birthday. They and other Jews are forced onto a train and taken to a concentration camp. Dora, his wife, confronts the guard about her husband and son, and he's not changing his mind, says there's no mistake, and so Dora gets on the train in order to be close to her family. As men and women, as you know, were separated in concentration camps, and so both Dora and Guido were separated. They would never see each other again during the internment. But Guido is a humorous and creative young man, and he pulls off stunts at different points, such as using the camp's loudspeakers to send messages to Dora to assure her that he and their son are safe. His uncle, however, isn't so lucky and is eventually executed in a gas chamber. While in the camp, Guido hides their true and dire situation from his son, little uh, Josue. And Guido tells his son that the, the camp itself is a complicated game in which he must do the tasks that Guido tells him, that his father tells him. And each task, he will earn a point. And whoever gets to a thousand points first will win a tank. He tells him that if he cries, complains in any way, he says that he's hungry, he'll lose points. While the quiet boys who hide from the camp guards earn extra points. Guido maintains this story, this game with his son all the way through the end, even when in a great commotion of shutting down the camp as the allied forces were approaching, he tells his son to stay in a box until everyone has left. He tells his son that this is the final competition before the tank is his. He leaves his son in the box and, and Guido goes searching for Dora in the chaos but is caught by a German soldier. An officer makes the decision to execute Guido who was let off by the soldier. And while Guido is walking to his death, Guido passes his son, Josue, one last time. And as he passes his son, he remains in character, still playing the game with his son. He winks at his son, and his son winks back at him as Guido is led away to be shot. The next morning, Josue emerges from the sweatbox. The U.S. Army has arrived in the Sherman tanks. The camp is, is liberated, and he's eventually reunited with his mother. It's not until later, as an older man, that he learns about his father's story of sacrifice for his whole family, how he gave his life to save his son's life. Life is like a box of chocolates wooden crosses, or even hurricanes and new academic years. You never know what you're going to get. And with everything that is happening in our world, 
you may come to the point and say, Lord, I can't. But then God will respond, I'm glad to hear you say that. Because through you, I can. Be someone's lifesaver today. This is who Jesus is for us. He gave his life, and now we have life. So don't forfeit your life. Go and truly live. And help others to do the same. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.